0: Chapter 90 of The Forty-Five Guardsmen by Alexandre Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 90. His Highness Monseigneur le Duc de Guise. On Sunday, the 10th of June, toward eleven o'clock in the day, the whole court were assembled in the apartment leading to the cabinet, in which, since his meeting with Diana de Maridor, the Duc d'Anjou was dying by slow but sure degrees. Neither the science of the physicians, nor his mother's despair, nor the prayers which the king had desired to be offered up, had been successful in averting the fatal termination. Miron, on the morning of this same 10th of June, assured the king that all chance of recovery was hopeless, and that Francois d'Anjou would not outlive the day. The king pretended to display extreme grief, and turning toward those who were present said, "'This will fill my enemies full of hope.' to which remark the queen-mother replied, "'Our destiny is in the hands of heaven, my son.' Whereupon Chicot, who was standing humbly and reverently near Henry III, added in a low voice, "'Let us help heaven when we can, sire.' Nevertheless, the dying man, toward half-past eleven, lost both color and sight. His mouth, which up to that moment had remained open, became closed.' The flow of blood which for several days passed had terrified all who were near him, as the bloody sweat of Charles the Ninth had similarly done at an earlier period, had suddenly ceased, and hands and feet became icy cold. Henry was sitting beside the head of the couch whereupon his brother was extended. Catherine was standing in the recess in which the bed was placed, holding her dying son's hand in hers. The bishop of Chateau Thierry and the Cardinal de Joyeuse repeated the prayers for the dying, which were joined in by all who were present, kneeling, and with their hands clasped reverently together. Toward midday, the dying man opened his eyes. The sun's rays broke through a cloud, and inundated the bed with a flood of light. Francois, who up to that moment had been unable to move a single finger, and whose mind had been obscured like the sun which had just reappeared, raised one of his arms toward heaven with a horror stricken gesture. He looked all round the room, heard the murmuring of the prayers grew conscious of his illness as well as of his weakness, became aware of his critical position, perhaps because he already caught a glimpse of that unseen and terrible future, the abode of certain souls after they have quitted their earthly prison. He thereupon uttered a loud and piercing cry, and struck his forehead with a force which made everyone tremble. Then, knitting his brows as if one of the mysterious incidents of his life had just recurred to him, he murmured, "Bussy, Diana!' This latter name had been overheard by none but Catherine, so weakened had the dying man's voice become before pronouncing it. With the last syllable of that name, Francois d'Anjou breathed his last sigh. At this very moment, by a singular coincidence, the sun which had gilded with its rays the royal arms of France and the golden fleur-de-lis which was again obscured so that the fleur-de-lis which had been so brilliantly illuminated but a moment before became as dark and gloomy as the azure ground which they had but recently studded with constellations almost as resplendent as those whereon on the eye of the dreamer rests in his upward gaze towards heaven. Catherine let her son's hand fall. Henry the Third shuddered and leaned tremblingly on Chicot's shoulder, who shuddered too, but from a feeling of awe which every Christian feels in the presence of the dead. Miron placed a golden spatula on Francois's lips. After a few seconds he looked at it carefully and said, Monseigneur is dead. Whereupon a deep, prolonged groan arose from the antechamber, like an accompaniment to the psalm which the cardinal murmured, Quedant iniquitates, mei ad de precationis mei. "'Dead,' repeated the king, making the sign of the cross as he sat in his fauteuil. "'My brother, my brother!' "'The sole heir of the throne of France,' murmured Catherine, who, having quitted the bed whereon the corpse was lying, had placed herself beside the only son who now remained to her. "'Oh,' said Henry, "'this throne of France is indeed large for a king without issue.' The crown is indeed large for a single head. No children, no heirs. Who will succeed me?" Hardly had he pronounced these words when a loud noise was heard on the staircase and in the apartments. Nambu hurriedly entered the death chamber and announced, ''His Highness Monseigneur le Duc de Guise!'' Struck by this reply to the question which he had addressed to himself, the king turned pale, rose, and looked at his mother. Catherine was paler than her son. At the announcement of the horrible misfortune which mere chance had foretold to his race, she grasped the king's hand and pressed it as if to say, "'There lies the danger, but fear nothing. I am near you.' The son and mother, under the influence of the same terror and the same menace, had comprehended each other. The duke entered, followed by his officers. He entered, holding his head loftily erect, although his eyes ranged from the king to the deathbed of his brother, with a glance not free from a certain embarrassment. Henry the Third stood up, and with that supreme majesty of carriage, which, on certain occasions, his singularly poetic nature enabled him to assume, checked the duke's further progress by a kingly gesture, and pointed to the royal corpse upon the bed, the covering of which was in disorder from his brother's dying agonies. The duke bowed his head and slowly fell on his knees. All around him, too, bowed their heads and bent their knees. Henry the Third, together with his mother, alone remained standing, and bent a last look full of pride upon those around him. Chicot observed this look and murmured in a low tone of voice, De potentes de sede et ex humilis. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. End of chapter 90. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.